0: School, and obviously, we've been going through it through the pulpit. And we've been actually using the phrase, um, uh, oh, hey, like a river glorious. Oh, that's not the right one. Uh, if you could click it, uh, we've, been, we've been going through the phrase the who and the do. And basically, that's our way of saying that Ephesians is divided into two parts, We're neatly right down the middle. The first three chapters talk about our uh, inheritance in Christ, our standing in Christ. And the last three chapters talk about what we are to do because of that standing in Christ. And uh, we've been, and essentially, Ephesians tells us three things about our identity in Christ. Chapter uh, three tells us that we are one in Christ, chapter two, chapter one tells us of our blessings in Christ. And today we are going to look at verses one for eight, which tells us that we are uh, saved by grace. That's who we are. And so just to recap a little bit, I want to look at uh, uh, chapter one very quickly as a means of introduction. And you will recall that we've been spending a lot of time learning about our blessings in Christ. What exactly that Jesus Christ did on the cross that blessed us and what do we have and what's the inheritance. And we've been going over a few of them and we've been talking about the fact that we've been holy in Christ. That in Jesus we are blameless, that in Jesus we were chosen, that in Jesus we are bought back or redeemed. In Jesus we have wisdom and insight, in Jesus we were blessed with knowing the mystery of existence. Remember we talked about that, how everything is one in Christ. We talked about how you are appreciated in Christ, that was last week. And we also, we didn't talk about it, but it's there anyway, and I want to make sure you know it, is that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a means and assurance that you are saved. These are all the blessings of Christ. Now, I want to really just ask a simple question, and that is this, is that when you read that list, how do you... Uh, uh, I want to show you a Christmas gift that I got. So, this is... a shirt that Liz gave me for my 30th birthday. It's a picture of Spock, and it says Trekkie, and... uh, Uh, A little bit of background about the shirt. Um, When I was, when Liz and I were, uh, well, I'm 38 this year, and so eight years ago, Liz planned a big 38 or 30th bash birthday party for me, and she went all out. She got friends over, we had a big party, we we decorated Star Trek gear, the you know Captain Kirk and the whole nine yards and all that kind of thing, and every day for a month. Liz went into her room, locked the door and worked on my birthday present, right? And she went to town and she designed this t-shirt and she was uh she thought, "Man, I'm going to Dan's reaction is going to be so amazing. He's going to wear this shirt every day. It'll it'll be like amazing and all that thing and just I'm so excited." And then uh the day finally came and uh she, She's like, okay, I'm so excited for your present. Here's your present. And she opened. She's like, here, you got to open it first thing in the morning. She, and she, she was, like, videotaping me over my reaction. I'm like, okay, this, man, this better be good. You've been working it all month. You've never done that. That's amazing. I open it up, and I get the shirt, and I go, oh, thanks. Has anyone ever had a reaction to a gift like that? Yeah. What do you do? Okay, so I have to ask the question: What do you do when you get a gift that you don't like? What's the appropriate response? Thanks. Thanks? Okay. Yeah, I guess. Do you know what my response was? Honestly, honey, I don't like it. What do you think happened? Like, well, you're still alive. Still alive. So. I, uh, I don't know how you handle it when you get a gift that you don't like. And there's, there's kind of two camps on this, because there's a gift that you get that you don't like that you know that the, no, there's no thought put into it, and there's a gift that you don't like that you know that there's thought put into it. And so unbeknownst to me, here's the story about what had happened, right? Every day, Liz went in, and she designed the T-shirt for me, and then the day that she went in to take it to the printer to get printed they told her that she, they couldn't use her original design because the images were copyrighted. So her heart was crushed, and so they said, here's a picture of Spock, here you go, and that's what she gave me. So the original gift that she wanted to give me wasn't that, but my point is, is that there, she poured her heart and soul into this, and, that, and at the end of the day, my response was, oh, right? And I don't know if you've ever had that, but that hurts. And so my question for you today is, what do you feel like when you look at the gifts that Jesus has given you? Because if your response to that list this last week, these last few weeks has been the same response that I have given to Liz, I think you're in danger. Because I don't think you've really come to appreciate exactly what it is that Jesus gave you. And if you were to ask, and it, so here's how I would say it, if you are, have emotionally flatline, that means when you read this list, you read about how blessed you are, how whole you are, how you were chosen, how he's given you the mystery of insight, and there's, in that, that needle stays at zero, that, it, that it's neutral, that there's nothing this way or that way, I'm going to make the suggestion that it's because you forgot or you are in denial about your need for the gospel. Okay? That you don't understand exactly the kind of lengths. And the, the work and the effort, Jesus went into making you holy and blameless and chosen and forgiven. Because the truth is, is that sometimes I read through that, and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to think these are awesome gifts, but at the end of the day, I just kind of go, eh. And, here, and here's what I need you to hear is, is that when, you, when your emotions are flatlined, when they're frozen, when you don't feel any alleviation, when you hear that, that good news, that's usually a symptom of denial, a denial of the truth, or you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten the need of it. Do you know what happened to the Ephesian church? If you remember me starting the series, you remember me telling you how this was a powerhouse of a church, that this church loved Jesus That the best preachers came out of this church. That almost, uh, uh, like, you had a powerhouse of Timothy and Paul and John all preached here. This church spread the news of Jesus. This was the it church. You know how every community has the it church? This one was it. But you know what eventually happened to it? It closed its doors and died. Revelation chapter 2 says this, this is written many years later after the book of Ephesians, it says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's a reference to Jesus. So Jesus is saying this to the church and he says, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do what you did at first. This is the reading of God's word. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And that's exactly what happened in the church. A few decades later, this church closed its doors because I think that they forgot their need for the gospel. And if you're here today and you are in a place where you feel emotionally neutral, I'm going to make the... Argument that maybe it's because that you forgot two key things. And the first thing is that you've forgotten your need for Jesus. You've forgotten one key, key truth, and that is this, is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than you would ever dare to admit. I think you need to understand that your life is a mess, and your best attempt to fix it is a joke. Listen to what God says about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses, in which you, which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is, this spirit is now at work at the sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in our passions and flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature of wrath, uh, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let's open up God's word and pray. Father, thank you for today, and I pray that as we come to a very serious subject this Christmas, that you would give me the right words to explain and to talk to you, talk to the church about your word and about sin, and how we are in need of the gospel. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Now, before I continue, I need to tell you that I hate talking about sin, right? Because I don't know if if you're up here, and you're the guy talking about sin, you can feel, it's like there's, the the whole room is filled with air like a balloon, and the minute I tell you how sinful you are, it's like, Everyone kind of deflates, like I let the room like the, the air out of the balloon and I could feel this weight and everyone gets depressed. And here's what I need to tell you before I go on and move on is when I talk about sin, I'm not trying to crush you. I'm not trying to say you're the you know, I'm not I'm not trying to destroy you. I'm actually trying to help you. Okay. So please bear that in mind. I'm not I'm not trying to make you feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. I I just, I just need you to know that if you're feeling like you're running into Christmas this year and you're not quite in that Christmas spirit, you're not excited about Jesus coming yet, then maybe it's because you, you haven't really realized that you're as sinful as you'd like to admit you were. Okay? So I have to talk about this. But I'm doing it for a good reason. Can every can anyone everyone smile at that, please? All right, so because I don't I don't like telling you bad news, but in order for the good news of Jesus to be good, I have to tell you the bad news. Okay. So uh, with that being said, let me start off by by talking a little bit about sin and where it came from. And if you're new to matter or you've never heard this before, I'm, I'm just going to go over the basics real quick. And that is this is that. Uh, If you, uh, Christians believe right at the outset that when God created the world, everything was good. Everything was perfect and everything was amazing. Life was good. The very best fruit was there. I think it's guava. You know, life was amazing. There was no tears or suffering or pain. It It was a great paradise where we could enjoy life with each other and enjoy life with God. But then something came in, and, and is, or let me back up, is that, is that God created paradise, and he created human beings to rule over his paradise in such a way that would reflect God's glory. Okay? That is, we are to have dominion over all the earth. And so what happens is that God creates human, or living beings that are uh, made in his image, okay? In other words, they they function like a mirror. I was gonna do this. I don't have my phone. Baby, can I have your phone? Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. So so I I really just imagine that this phone is a mirror, okay? And what does a mirror do, guys? Reflects an image. Okay? Now, I don't really, I'm not going to do this because Liz is going to hate me, but you guys get the idea, right? So listen, like, imagine this is a mirror, okay? And God created, oh, there's my phone. That works better. Okay. God created us to reflect his image, okay? God, right? So we're mirrors, right? The value of human life is that we are mirrors. We reflect who God is, okay? But then sin came in the world, like a hammer, okay, and it busted the glass, okay, and so what happened is you've got a broken mirror, like a broken phone, right, I don't know if you can see this, but this phone is cracked and broken, now here's the thing about a broken mirror, a broken mirror still reflects, doesn't it, but the image is distorted. And that's what's happened with sin is that sin has come into the world and because it has affected every part of creation, it has distorted everything including your image, the image of God that we are supposed to see. So it's still there in some form, but it's distorted, it's broken. It's like those funny mirrors or you, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you go to the department stores and you try on a new a new shirt or whatever and the mirror is like Uh, the mirror is kind of adjusted or warped to make you look skinnier than you actually are. So that's sort of what's going on. Sin has distorted God's image. It's distorted the world. And because of that, in a sinful world, nothing works the way it should. Everything is distorted. Sin has affected you bodily. Your body doesn't work the way it should. It's subject to illness and it will die. It was never supposed to do that. There is a distorting in your intellect and your power to reason. Sin has distorted your ability to think clearly. Sin has distorted your ability to have common sense. Sin has twisted and distorted your emotions. Sin has distorted your ability to choose, your power to choose. It is so warped, your life and my life, that we can't choose Jesus simply for the fact that we love him. We have all chosen Jesus because we're in trouble and we need someone to help us. Okay? None of us have been wise enough in our own lives to choose Jesus simply because we want to love him. We have all chosen Jesus because we're sinful and we're in need of a Savior. We came to him because we had a problem and we need a fixation and that has distorted our ability to choose properly. Sin has distorted your relationships. Sin has distorted your ability to worship. Sin has distorted our gender. Sin has distorted uh, even the the harmony between men and women. And so furthermore, the Bible goes on to say that not only has it distorted us, but Ephesians, what we have just read, has told us that we are enslaved to this. That we can't break free, and I think that the reason you and I can read a list of all the blessings that we have in Jesus and not come out of it feeling like we got to praise Him is because of we've forgotten that we are not the heroes in our own story. I'm going to say something hard. <laughs> And that the tr- and, but it's truthful. And again, it's not to, not to hurt you, but to help you. Scripture makes it very clean, clear that you're not the hero of your own story. You're the villain. And you're the victim in your own story. Listen again to what I just read in Ephesians. It says this, In which you once walked following the, the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. That's Satan, so we follow Satan. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we were all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of this body and mind, which we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. Ephesians 5.10 puts it this way. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. You are the villain in the story. and you're the victim. And so I want to make it clear that that's why sheltering doesn't work, because you could actually, here's what happens, is you can look at the world. The world's not the enemy. You are the enemy. So if you look at all the stuff that goes out in the world, you say, oh, the world's just a big, bad, evil place. I'm just going to, like, retreat from the world. I'm going to find, like, a piece of land, and I'm going to build my house in the middle of it, and I'm going to make sure that, you know, all, like nothing bad enters in, all you're doing is you're locking yourself up with the, with the enemy in the story. James puts it another way. He says, when, when we are tempted, we should not think that God is tempting us, for God cannot be tempted by evil. We are all tempted by our own evil desires. The problem is us. <clears throat> the problem is us. You and I are not the heroes in the story. We're the villains and we're the victims. And in order for us to appreciate the gift that God has given us, you need to square with that fact. <clears throat> many of you know that James was uh, sick many years ago, and you remember me recalling that story in Winnipeg. But let me reiterate this part again. When the news reached my ears that James was sick, I began to hurt for my sin because that I realized that he was born sick. And there was nothing that I could do to fix it. And I began to feel guilty that I brought someone into life when the doctors tells me that, that he would likely not have a normal life. My heart began to break for him as the doctors told me all the stuff that would go wrong with him. And I started to feel an anger at myself and at a justice at why him? But you know the most interesting part of the reaction I had about was this temptation to deny how sick he was. I found myself having a hard time admitting that he was as bad as the doctors said he was. Doctors would make referrals for me to see the specialist and all I wanted to do was take him and pretend like there wasn't a problem. I didn't see a problem, I saw him as a happy kid happy and healthy, that there was no issue. It wasn't until somebody told me that and confronted me that if I want to see James have the life that I desperately want him to have, I have to admit to myself that the doctors were right and he was, his sickness was serious. Because here's what I was doing. Because I didn't believe that he was as serious as the doctors said he was, I didn't take him to the doctor. You see, friends, there is a tendency to avoid facing the truth that we are sick and sinful. And I know in this room, we would never say, well, I'm not sinful, you know, I'm not perfect. I know we would all say that, right? Yeah, we would all say that. And I know you would think that in your head, but I think in your heart you feel something very different. Okay? Because what I'm saying to you, here's what I'm saying to you, okay? It's like you're admitting that you have cancer, but the cancer is at stage one, and I'm coming to you and saying, no, it's at stage four. Okay? Pancreatic cancer is one of the worst kinds of cancer because you can't actually feel anything or see the effects until you're almost dead. And that's what sin is like. Because you and I, we are sinful. We have this nature to rebel against God. And most of us, we recognize it intellectually, but in our heart we feel like we're better than everyone because our lives haven't fallen apart. But the truth is, is all the sin that you're doing right now, it might not actually affect you, but in 10 years from now, it's going to blow up in your face in a really bad way. You haven't admitted it, and I think, <clears throat> I think you need to admit how sinful we are. How we all are. How we rebel against God. How we're the villain of the story. How our best attempts to fix it makes our life a mess. And how it's a joke. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just, I'm just trying. I'm your doctor here. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to spell out the prognosis. It's bad. So let me take you through how bad it is. I don't want you to write anyone's names down or shout this out loud, because that would be awkward. But let me take you through a series of questions. Number one, who are you holding a grudge against? Have you ever wondered why we suddenly stop liking someone we used to like? Or why we suddenly no longer have time to spend with people whom we once spent time with? Most of the time, it's because there's an unresolved issue outstanding between us, and that has turned into a grudge. And if we're honest, holding a grudge is a seemingly more acceptable form of resentment and unforgiveness. That's sin. Who have you mistreated because they reminded you of someone else? Who... Who have you judged, not because they said or did anything wrong, but because they reminded you of someone else that did do something wrong or something bad? Who would you like to be found out or exposed? Whose defeat or punishment would you celebrate? That's about revenge. Who do you find yourself criticizing publicly or privately or even wanting to? Who am I hurting by living according to my selfish ambitions and priorities? There's nothing wrong with being driven or being having priorities in life or working hard, but the Bible in James actually tells us that there are things as selfish ambitions. Who in your life is being hurt by your selfish ambitions? Who are you hurting with your pessimism? Who are you hurting with your victim mentality? Everyone is... I'm the worst kind of person. My life is so hard and I deserve all these kind of things. Who is being hurt by that? Who are you hurting with your anger? Should I go on? I'm going to go on. Next slide. Who has been hurt by your lack of integrity? Who have you lied to these last 12 months? Who have you stolen or taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you been honest with your times at work, your breaks, the supplies you've taken, break time, etc.? Are you being honest with the government? Yeah. With your taxes, your unemployment benefits, your income assistance, your debts, etc. Who have you been hurting with how you've been treating your body? Did you know that Scripture tells us in First Corinthians that your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the Lord? So, who has been hurt by the way that you've been using it? Who's paying the price for the way that you've used your body in a physically intimate way that you weren't supposed to? Who's paying the price for driving your body beyond the limits that God has designed it to be? Your family? Your friends? Do you ever find yourself exaggerating to look better? Have you ever found yourself accepting another's exaggeration with you without correction? When no one is around, what liberties do you take with your language, your boundaries, and your beliefs that you wouldn't take if the people you cared about were present? Now, I'm not going to ask for names. (laughs) But who can think of someone that they hurt? on that list hands up every hand should be up because we've all done it haven't we including your pastor your pastor is not some show he is as broken as the rest of you I think we forget one truth is that we are more sinful in our, and flawed in ourselves than we have, we've ever dared to believe okay and the good news of Jesus doesn't actually get good until you realize that the bad news is that bad. And so you can look at the list, you can look at Christmas and say, oh boy, Jesus is coming, but you can actually feel neutral about it. You could read First Corinthians chapter 1 and read about how you're forgiven and how you're chosen and how you're part of a family and how God has given you wisdom and insight. And you can have that not move in you, Because you don't really think that their problem is as bad as the scripture says it is. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So that's the first thing I say that the church forgot. The second thing that I think the church forgot was the latter half of that. This is the good part. This is the part that's supposed to make you feel good. It says this in verse 4 But God, isn't that awesome? You were dead in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him on the heavenly places that is in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For you have been saved uh, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast." here's the truth that I need you to remember is that even though we are more sinful and broken than we would like to admit, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever hoped. Please say something. That should be our, okay? I've been in ministry a very long time and you know, in my time, there, I think we've overcorrected because I think when my parents grew up, and my parents had a generation, uh, they told me that, you know, they grew up with a wrathful view of God, that God was just this guy who was going to shake his finger with you at every bad thing. And there was no love and no grace and no forgiveness. And so I kind of grew up on the other extreme of that, where we talked about love and grace exclusively. But here's the problem with that. As I go and I tell people about Jesus, I say this to them, hey, guess what? Jesus loves you. And you know what the response is? I'm going to go play my Nintendo Switch now. You want to know why? Because we haven't explained why they need a Savior in the first place. We haven't explained how bad the bad news is and how we've hurt and how we're dead and how we need forgiveness. And so in that truth, Jesus comes in and he comes in as a baby. You and I, friends, are delighted by God. Just as I have delight in James, God delights in his creation. The creation account tells us that on every occasion he created an aspect of the earth that was good. And he created men and women, and he said it was very good. And the only thing in creation that was made in his image is you. Did you know that? You are the only thing in this entire universe that bears the title of God's image. That's what makes us, human life, worth, worthful. And our, our original nature isn't evil, it's good. And before sin entered the world, he delighted in you. He delighted in a new creation. He enjoyed in you. He took one day during that time of creation to stop and sit back and rest and enjoy. Every tree, every beach, every human being in humanity was good. And I still believe that today. God delights in you. Psalms 18, 19 says that, God saved you because he delights in you. And some of you need to hear that today because somehow you think you're a lost cause. Friends, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You are carried in his image. It might be a broken image, but you are still his. And you can find freedom from the brokenness, the abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, and the loneliness if you just admit that you're more sinful than you think you are. The miracle of Christmas is that God is not indifferent to your pain. In fact, he left eternity and came to earth to show how much he cares. The baby Jesus that we are going to celebrate in just a few short weeks will later grow up to live with us and die for us. Your story of mistakes, sadness, and hurt is erased and rewritten by God's unmerited love for you. Christmas is God's way of saying that in 30 years from his birth, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, and no more crying, and no more suffering, for the former things have passed away. Now, I want you to look at that list again. You want to throw it up. And I want you to reread it that you are holy, and blameless, and chosen. I'm bought back and redeemed and you know the mystery of the universe, why it exists. You are appreciated and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you, how do you feel? Do you feel a sense of praise going on? Because here's what I'm going to say. If your reaction is anything less than Paul's reaction, there's an issue. There's an issue. You remember how he wrote this? Remember how I told you that this is, chapter one was one really long sentence, and that was, and the commentators think that that that's because Paul is so emotionally overwhelmed that he just keeps praising? He's in a situation where he shouldn't. And sometimes we forget how blessed we are because we are saved by Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace. Who is this book written to? Non-Christians or Christians? Christians. It's the Christians that needed to be reminded of the gospel. Okay? It's the people that grew up with it that sometimes forget. And that means that you and I, like if you've grown up in Ghostpine and you've grown up in Sunday school and church, you're not worse than other Christians, but you are more in danger of forgetting it than other Christians forgetting the good news that you were sinful and that Jesus died for your sins. Who are you? You are blessed because you have been saved by grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness for us. As we enter in our Christmas season, may we remember exactly what Christmas represents, a promise to redeem us from our our brokenness and our sinfulness.